0: Welcome to another episode of Meta Athletes The Playbook where we bring our coaches insights directly to our community and uh, coach B, we're gonna I'll call this one kind of like a quick fire or a rapid fire podcast because um, I got I got inspired and I was just telling you that it's a plenty of reason right before we, we decided to press uh, press record on this. Me and my girlfriend had started watching the show called <laughs> A Thousand Pound Sisters. I don't know. No if you way. See it. No, I have. It's like it's it's like a TLC or it's on Discovery, and uh, so we recently got back onto Discovery, and um, we just randomly came across, it and we're like, this looks kind of interesting. And actually, she found it. She started watching it, and then of course, you know, like I'm just in, in close proximity. I'm like, what are we watching here? And then it's like, wow, this is actually really interesting. And it took us down like this rabbit hole of like we we finished Thousand Pound Sisters, and essentially one sister's like 600 pounds, the other one's 400. Oh my and lord! It, and it's their journey. It's their like you know, they always grew up, you know, basically their whole family, you know, had issues and, and, um, and, and issues with their weight. And um, they are basically told by doctors like, Hey, you know, don't really have that much time to live. And we got to make a choice here. And this is a, it's a bariatric surgeon. And um, so this show became really popular years ago, but I don't know, we just never, it's never like appealed to me, but started watching it. And it's fascinating, you know, just like, yeah, the struggle and, and trying to, um, you know, get their weight in control through diet, through exercise, through a lot of therapy. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, I think, you know, and, and this is where, this is why this episode is kind of coming to life for me is because um, it was fascinating to me to see such like a low level understanding of health in terms of what they should be eating, how they should be moving and um, and how it could spiral out of control. If you're not taking care of these things, and it was like the most simple things in terms of like going to the grocery store and, and you know, this is something that you've chatted about a ton when it comes to, you know, yeah. finding a good list and and sticking to certain types of foods. Um, but it was mind blowing to me, like even the family members that, you know, didn't get to that. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't life threatening way, but their understanding of food was like so off. And so um, today we have a, a rapid fire of, you know, three, fitness myths that i want to shoot to you i didn't share these with you before but just for you to kind of like quickly debunk them because i think one it's interesting for us to know but um i think these are ones that everybody kind of comes across and unless they're instructed or unless they're um you know given the proper formation i think it's something that somebody could be 50 years old and still believe that these things are to be true right so um we'll kind of kick that off but yeah that's our that's been like a guilty pleasure show for us and it went from thousand pound sisters Right into my 600 pound life, which is like, oh my! Uh, you know, I know, I know it's, so, <laughs> it's so strange, but it's uh, it's fascinating to see these people's stories and um, and to see the success stories that come from it. And you know, there's a, a crazy stat where it's like, you know, to be 600 pounds and get bariatric surgery, you long term success is about just less than five percent to see long term success. That, that makes from, sense. But but these stories are incredible and. Um, it just made me think that you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that you know have general misconceptions and understanding of you know very basic health things, and so uh, this is where this podcast was kind of inspired from, is to uh, to just kind of cover some of the basics. And so, uh, so Coach B, I'm going to shoot these off to you, and, and I would say in less than two minutes, if you can, you got a timer on? Yeah, less than two minutes uh. trying to fire back, um, you know, just like a, a quick hitter on on why it's a myth and um, and how we should th- think about these things. So. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll time you on the on the two men. So the first one we have, and we'll start the title right when I finish it. Um, crunches are the best way to get six-pack abs.
1: False. The only way abs are made are in the kitchen, right? So well, crunches are an exercise used to strengthen, basically any exercise that you would do like in the gym, uh, on your own, or just used to help strengthen the muscle that you're going to be able to target. But there is no such thing as like 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 reducing body fat in a certain area just by doing a certain exercise. You can make the muscle a little bit bigger um, based on the sets and reps that you use. But if you want to reduce body fat, it is all nutrition. And uh, I don't know if you're going to ask me this one, too. But all you're really doing is when you is you're either increasing the size of a cell or decreasing the size of a cell like muscle cells are different than fat cells. And so when you start to reduce the calories you consume, all you're starting to do is decrease the size of that fat cell so that you're reducing body fat. And then if you start to strength train and exercise, what you're doing is you're trying to increase the size of muscle cell. You're not changing one type of cell into another type of cell. Um, So yeah, crunches are not the best way to get a six pack. There is one thing, but if you do direct ab work, and you start to train, and you start to reduce the amount of calories you consume, and you're improving your nutrition. You will start to become a little bit more visible. So they kind of work hand in hand. It's not just one by itself. Good one. I like that one.
0: Boom. A minute and twenty seconds. That's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. You know, you you know, there's a couple of myths here, and I, I pulled up six just in case, uh, in case you couple or, couple, mm-hmm. or a couple. So the, the, there's another one. The second one was uh, doing high repetitions and light weights will sculpt and tone muscles, and you kind of dive into that a little bit. Um, but no, I think, I think, you know, you kind of outlined that perfectly and there's another one. Let me see. Um, yeah, actually the other one was spot reduction can target fat loss in specific areas. Right. So that was another myth that came up for this and you kind of covered that too. Right. Um, it's interesting to me cause like people talk about that, right. It was like, you know, I want to get a six pack, so I'm going to start doing more crunches yeah. and, 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 you know what you what you spoke on and like it really happening in the kitchen makes a ton of sense. But then again, I also like there's some people, and it's, this is really interesting to me is like um it's totally different, but somebody that's maybe a little more heavy set to have like massive calves, right? Because they're they're carrying around a lot of weight and and so and it's weird because it does you can kind of target that area, right? Like you can literally have like a heavy set body, but then their their legs and their calves are extremely lean in tone, right? And, um, so like it's, it's on one hand, you know, you can't target your, your abs because of a layer of fat, right. Covering, but
1: you can target your
0: calves, right? Like that is possible.
1: Well, calves are primarily genetic. It's one of those areas of your body that you either have a high area for uh, hypertrophy or really well-defined or really well-shaped calves versus somebody who doesn't like a lot of that gen- genetics. Like I remember. Some people would often get like calf implants because they wanna make their calves look bigger. Um, but on another t- sense, like if you are carrying more body weight than you need, your body's gonna t- going to adapt in a certain way. And so what's supporting your body weight? Your feet, your feet and your lower legs. So they will hypertrophy due to a degree because you're putting greater amounts of stress on them. And sooner or later, if, if your muscles can no longer adapt to it, that stress is gonna go to your bones. And so oftentimes that happens too is 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 heavy set people um often have feet issues and lower leg problems because they're carrying around more weight and it's all stress. It's all related to stress, right? So if the muscle can no longer adapt to that stress, and it's gonna go to your tendons and then eventually if your tendons can't handle any it more, it's gonna go to your bones. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually a result of like heavy weight, heavy set people. If they have to walk or if they have to move around a lot, like they're going to start to hurt because they can't absorb that stress or their muscles anymore. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it makes it, makes a ton of sense. All right. All right, coach B we'll go right back into the rabbit fire. There's uh, right. there's two more that we'll dive into second myth. Women who lift weights will become bulky and masculine.
1: <laughs> I felt like, I feel like I've dealt with this one for the amount of years I've trained female athletes. And uh, that is False. And the biggest reason why is most females don't have enough anabolic hormones to be able to support that amount of hypertrophy. Now, there are instances where you'll see very muscular females. It could be bodybuilders. it could be it could be fitness um, f- uh, I don't even know fitness just fitness people. I, I forget what the what the exact term is, but um, the amount of volume that they're going to need to require to be able to create that amount of muscle mass is going to be much more than the average person, right? And so strength training, I think, is is essential for all females because it's going to help improve their, their lean body mass. It's going to help improve their bone density. It's going to help protect them from injuries. It's going to make them feel better. It's going to make them look better too because you're going to have a little bit more muscle mass. But it's not going to be to the same degree that a male's going to be able to increase the amount of muscle mass that they're going to have. Um, so no, just because a female starts going into the gym and starts training doesn't mean that they're automatically going to start to look like a man and start to have this massive amounts of muscle, um, unless they start to you know change their hormones and change their diet at the same time. But it's just it's it's not possible. Now there are some females that tend to have a little bit more testosterone than others. And I don't think that's the norm from what I've from what I've found. It's it's going to be, you know, a small percentage of the population that's going to be able to put on massive amounts of muscle mass. But they're also going to be ridiculous athletes too. So, the average female who listens to this and goes to start going to the gym should not be afraid.
0: Absolutely, I think that um, you know it, it sounds silly, but it has to be one of the biggest like uh, I want to say like mental roadblocks or. <laughs> um, you know, like it comes up constantly for me. And so I think that it's, uh, it's important one to cover, even though I kind of found it kind of silly. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're spot on B, uh, last one. This was the one that, you know, I, I kind of, I found that was kind of interesting that I didn't expect, um, myth more sweat during a workout equals more calories burned.
1: That's a good one. And it, you know what the other one too, that goes along that one is, is like, Oh my God, I sweat that there must've been a good workout. Right, And uh, that, that doesn't always happen. So sweating is a cooling mechanism, right? And so what has starts to happen is when your body starts to increase its core temperature, it's going to sweat as a result to cool cool it down. And the amount of sweat pores that you have or I have is gonna be genetically determined. So I remember when I was in school, they talked about um, one of the highest sweat rates ever recorded by was by Alberto Salazar. Who is a marathon runner, Olympic gold level marathon runner, and had the highest sweat rates recorded. And you would equate that guy to be pretty fit if he's gonna run a marathon at the at the Olympic level, at the national level. And um it's it's just <laughs> it's been debunked over the course of you know, course of years. It's just, just because you sweat doesn't mean that it's a great workout. It just means that you your body increased its core temperature and it needs to needs to cool down. You can go outside and go sit outside on a hot day, and you're going to start sweating. And you're not even exercising. Right. So you so, hey all you're doing is your body just it just got hot. Does it mean that you're exercising just because you sweat? No, that's like that's foolish to think that way. But I guess I guess people do think that.
0: Yeah, that's why to me it was interesting because I think people do tend to think like or you know take a picture or show like oh my god look at my sweat like this is this yeah. is how hard it worked but. Um, there's people that I know, and and it's it's fascinating when I think about like even growing up playing hockey. You know, like you're wearing all this equipment, you're wearing you know yeah. all really heavy equipment. And there's some kids who hardest workers out there would come off the ice and they're not sweating at all. And no. it was it's all based off their their core temperature, like you mentioned. Like myself, I, I think I tend to run a little bit hotter. So like I could literally be sitting on the bench with my hockey equipment and start sweating. And
1: start sweating. You know, like,
0: yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's fascinating to me. But I think that's a great myth. I think these were three good ones to hit on. Um, I love hearing your perspective and kind of putting you (laughs) under the, uh, the hot
1: seat for a little bit, but, um, no, these are, you know, what's interesting about that that last one about sweating Yeah, is, um, there's so many times where a person would equate sweating to a good workout. Right. Right. Like, I don't know if you've heard that, like if they're dripping sweat they're like, Oh my God, that was a great workout. When in reality, sometimes if you're trying to train for a specific, specific quality, like maybe you just want to get stronger. And you want to optimize the amount of load that you're using and you might do a lower amount of reps, you may not sweat as if you're doing like a circuit-based workout or a conditioning-based workout. Right. Or, you know, I know when in athletics, sometimes we might try to do like a speed workout or a very high quality type session where you're going to have to have a lot of rest. And it's not about the quantity of volume that you're doing. It's more about the quality. So you may not sweat as much, but in reality, you're still... Creating a really good adaptation because the stimulus that you're applying is used to create a desired response. Right. But I always remember, like, you know, training athletes and, you know, even like sometimes we train middle schoolers and high school kids and we'd finish like with a finisher or something like that. And it might have been five, five minutes of their total volume of their workout where everything else is going to be a little bit more high quality. But they're like, oh my God, it's the last thing that they did. So it's, it's like the, it, they equated that to a good workout. And my old boss, my mentor, he would, uh, one of my mentors, he would always say, always leave them feeling wet. <laughs> and, and he'd always say, it doesn't matter if you did all this high quality work beforehand. The last thing that they're going to remember is is the last thing that they do. And right. so if you finish with a finisher or if you finish with something like that's going to tax them or make them feel like they're breathing heavier sweat, they're going to equate that to a good workout. And over the course of the time, I think I've realized I'm like, you know what? That's so true. And I think that's where finishers have come from, and and uh, finishing sessions with conditioning, like little, you know, like challenges, um, makes people feel like they did something really hard. So they equate it to that. And sometimes that's what people seek. But it was a it was, it was a fun thing that I, I always kind of teach my interns and staff is is uh, leave people feeling wet.
0: <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> but it makes a ton of sense so you think about like you know the the 50 rep you know with just the bonk yeah. or after practice we're doing sprints you know at the very you know, last two minutes of practice we're doing sprints um but when you were when you were talking you couldn't i couldn't help but to think how true this is because i could do a, a lifting session in my garage gym in january and not sweat at all right because uh-huh. it's it's 35 degrees Three 30. degrees out there i'll do the same workout yesterday you know not even going crazy, but just the same, you know, maybe I'm just doing like a chest and try, you know, doing a little bit of bench and I'll be sweating like crazy just because of, because it's the temperature. Right. It's and odd. so I think it's that's uh, a perfect example for me to understand, you know, that this, it truly is uh, is just a myth, but, um, but also people run differently. Right. Like you and I could do the same workout and I could be sweating my ass yes. and you could, you could be totally fine. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's, everybody's gonna be a little bit different, but um, no, this was awesome B. And um, I'm excited because this is a good example of a piece of content that we'll be able to chop up and uh, and get out to social. And so, um, if you're listening, I just want to give everybody a reminder that you know we're going to be on pretty much everywhere. You know, we're going to be on Apple, Spotify's podcast still, but we're also going to be on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. We're going to really start having a dedicated push push out content. And so, um, of course, we always appreciate subscribing, listening, sharing the podcast. But uh, if you see our content on social, you know, we would also appreciate for you to share it out there and and, uh, and get some more eyes on. Uh, coach B and some of the other coaches. And, um, you know, this podcast will go live tomorrow, but we're pretty excited to bring on Kevin Neal from uh, the Boston Bruins on Friday. That'll be our episode next week. And so, um, you know, putting together some, some questions and lists and, you know, we'll shoot it out to the community as well to see if there's any questions from the community. But um, yeah, really look forward to diving into your guys' relationship and uh, his experience at the NHL level. And obviously, you know, the Bruins had unbelievable season Unfortunately, not so much of the postseason, but I think their lead-up to it was, uh, was pretty damn incredible, so I look forward to hearing from him and his experience there. But uh, Coach B, appreciate you, and talk to everybody next week.
1: Thanks, Drew.